Do you like good stories, especially true stories? In just a moment, you're about to hear the true stories of how separated dads and kids were reunited and the impact that dads have on the lives of their kids. So don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest is Dr. Tori J. Dr. Tori J is the founder and CEO of the Fatherless Generation Foundation and has been at the helm since 2009. She's a reunification expert and specializes in the healing and reunification of fatherless children and their biological fathers. Dr. Tori J, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Tori J, you have been responsible for reuniting so many fathers and children. The work you've done has to be personal in some way. What is your own story? Mm, yeah, um, I was actually a fatherless child, um, decided around 30 years old that I needed to ask my mother the hard questions. You know, many children, even as adults, we don't like to challenge our mothers and ask them questions about our fathers, probably because we know it's a sore spot. But I couldn't sit back and continue to not ask the question. I needed to know who my father um, was. And so I asked her the hard question. And at 31, I was reunited with my father. And so that caused me to um, realize there was an issue and there was a pain um, that many individuals were feeling. And I don't think at the time I knew the magnitude of this mission or the work that was before me. Um, and then in reuniting with my father, there were things that he spoke into my life that shifted me and poised me for the moment that we're in now. And so it's really the reunification of my dad um, opened the door for me now to help so many others reunite with their fathers. What is the Fatherless Generation Foundation? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's, an, it's a work that was actually ignited the second day after I met my father. I'm a big person of faith, and I feel um, that is really what's fueled the work that I do. And day two, I took my dad and my bonus mom out to dinner. And in the midst of sitting down in the chair, I heard this word of, um, and call it the fatherless generation. And I was like, what is that? And in the midst of hearing that, I asked my friend to do a, a logo. And from that moment, we just started working with children who were fatherless. But what happened was the children we were working with, they kept saying, we want our dads, we want our dads, we want our dads. And um, the more we worked with them, we created um, a pathway for alienated dads or dads who, you know, just had a bad breakup and maybe made, made a bad decision. We created a work that would allow them a pathway to reunite with their children. So the Fatherless Generation Foundation actually works to reunite fatherless children with their biological fathers. And we provide resources and services that help heal, elevate, support um, the understanding of fatherhood um, in the community and making sure that dads are reuniting with their children. So that voice that you were hearing was the Holy Spirit inspiring you to do something great. Absolutely. <laughs> I didn't know how to say that. I don't know what the platform is, but yes, it was the Holy Spirit telling me what I would be doing. I think what we refuse to do is go back through our pain. And that's where you're going to find your purpose. And in sitting in that moment, 
which was difficult to even get to that moment. Um, <laughs> all the questions I had to ask my mother, um, even driving from um, Toledo, Ohio, where I'd flown in from Atlanta, got to Detroit airport. My mother picked me up from the airport. We drove to my hometown of Kalamazoo, Michigan. All of that, there was tension and stress and uncertainty and all of those things. And so now you're talking about day two of meeting this person, taking them out to dinner one-on-one. My mother's nowhere to be found. There's a lot of pain that you're unsure of. Like, you're like, what am I feeling? Why am I here? And then to have the Holy Spirit enter in and say, and call it the Fatherless Generation Foundation. I'm like, wait, what? And I actually walked outside the restaurant to make that call just also so I could get a breather. And um, yeah, that opened the door to a lot of things that I can, I can say are God inspired. And I can say I'm on a mission because of that moment. The fatherhood challenge exists because of the Holy spirit, because of a similar experience that I have. So what we can take away from your experience in how the fatherless generation foundation started and how the fatherhood challenge started is that both of these experiences are a direct expression of what God himself has to say about fatherhood and its importance, both on men and both on women. Absolutely. I mean, we have to look at it from a scriptural perspective as well. You know, Malachi speaks of this, that God would turn hearts of fathers back to their children, hearts of children back to their fathers. And then as soon as we open up the gospels, we have these layers of conversations, but then we get to Luke and it says the very same thing in Luke chapter one. So this is clearly on God's heart and on his mind. So much so that he's like, if you don't do this, there's going to be a curse that I bring upon the land. And if we're honest, we can see that curse. Yes. It's mass shootings. uh, For one, there's many curses, but that is is just one of them. Um, I think of the, one of the recent shootings that we had and and we can go down this trail with many many others the question no one wants to ask is what about the shooter's father what was the fatherhood experience in that home yes and many others and what do they all have in common we would rather talk about anything else but what is going on in our own homes because it is painful let's just be honest about it it is um so This is why I'm such a firm believer in the work that you are doing and why it matters. If if it matters to God, it should matter to us, like big time. When we don't want to talk about what's going on in our own homes or our personal experiences, I believe we, we hinder the ability for others to heal and also ourselves to heal. When we hide out, um, being able to tell my story I'm allowing other people to be able to heal their journey by telling my story, by sharing my journey. And then by doing this work, I get to actually move in that healing space on a one-on-one basis in ways that I'd never thought before. And I know that it's God. I know that it's him that the reason I have the numbers that I have, it's not me. It's always been about sitting before God and asking questions about what does reunification look like to you? How should I move forward with specific steps in reunification? I didn't come up with the four phase process. That process was dropped in my spirit as well. God is at the helm of everything that we do at the Fatherless Generation Foundation. 
And I am proud of that moment. And now that I know your journey, I'm proud to even say yes to you because I don't say yes to everyone. And when I opened my email, for some reason, it was do that. Yes. And so just know (laughs) that I don't normally say yes to people. I'm like, I don't know who that is. But there was a place in me that said, say yes. And it's because this is important to God. And because it's on God's heart, it's on mine. Speaking of numbers, what are the statistics around fatherlessness? How big of a crisis is it? I mean, (laughs) the crisis is so big that it's not only in the U.S. I'm talking to you from Africa. (laughs) I'm not in the U.S. at this moment. I am literally in um, Africa planting the foundation in two countries, three cities. The statistics around fatherlessness, you know, we say in America, we have 25 million fatherless individuals um, who most of the times they're not even going to see their dads. Here's the number that I have a problem with. 78% of African-American children, and that number fluctuates, you know, um, are growing up in a fatherless home. We can witness that that means that there's 78% of African-American women running a single parent home for various reasons. I won't go that route at this moment. We're talking about high school dropouts. My, my biggest struggle is the emotional and the mental health aspect. We're knowing that these numbers are behavioral statistics. Um, 85, the one I, oh, I'm fumbling a little bit because I have so many of these numbers that bother me and I am constantly looking at ways in our peer groups to tackle these numbers. 85% of rapists, they say, come from fatherless homes. That's like, like, what does that mean? We're not wow. tackling that information simply because the moment we make that statement, the moment we make that statement, Jonathan, people get upset and say, we're talking bad about mothers, right? That's what happens. Mm, yes. And so it becomes hard to tout this information. Because the moment we share how difficult it is, how complicated, high school dropout rate, 75% more likely to drop out of high school. You know, uh, when we look at Cook County Jail, and I know that's been a statistic for a while, 99% of those individuals that are in Cook County Jail come from fatherless homes. We know those numbers. People tout those numbers all the time. Kids who show behavioral disorders, 85% of children who show behavior disorders you know, we're talking about ADD, ADHD, ODD. The ODD is that place where I, I have a problem with authority. That would make sense now, wouldn't it? If my father's not in the home and only my mother's in the home, I've got issues with authority. Absolutely. And so behavior disorders, kids get straight A's, but they have bad behavior in school. And mom's like, well, I don't know why he's behaving badly. I have no idea. And it's, he wants to see his father or she Wants to mm-hmm. And so, yes, she's academically doing great. But then there's these behavioral issues that exist that no one wants to pay attention to, because if I say that these children are behaving badly because they're not getting what they need at home, we then look at it and say, oh, you're talking bad about moms. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Well, now it's story time. <laughs> this is the part we've been waiting for. Please share a few stories of some fathers and children that you and the Fatherless Generation Foundation have reunited. Oh, wow. I know you asked me this question, and it's always hard to figure out which story I want to tell. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll tell some where, ooh. 
every story has a place, a special place in my heart. And every story is super unique. The stories I believe that are most painful can be the ones that are simply um, challenged because the parents, they too grow up in fatherless homes. And so they don't understand the importance. Um, I think about Michael from Pennsylvania. Michael had access to his son, but Michael's son was in and out of his life sporadically. And then I was testifying in his case. Mom was moving the son six hours away in a car. There was no flight. And so that meant that when Michael would get his son, his son would have to drive three hours with mom and three hours with him. You know how much time that takes up? (laughs) It takes up a lot of your weekend time. You're only getting them four, Friday, Saturday, and back on Sunday, right? So that becomes challenging. And Michael was not in a position where he felt that was okay for his son to be back and forth in that way. And so testifying was difficult. And I want to share this one because this was a testimony. This was going to court with a dad to help him fight for his son. Not all of them require me to do that. Um, You would have thought that the prosecuting attorney um, had a personal, personal vendetta against this father. You would have thought the expert witness that they brought to the table had a personal vendetta against this father. It becomes very personal in a courtroom in ways that many people don't get to see. And that's another reason why I want to share this story. You don't get to see how personal the opposing side makes that journey and even made it very personal attacking me. We got to the part where I'm testifying and I'm being asked questions about the kids that I work with. And they wanted to throw that part out. They didn't want me to talk about that part. Well, you can't prove that. Yes, we can. Kids want to see their dads. And I remember waiting for the verdict. And the verdict was in favor of the father, Jonathan. And we celebrated. Wow. And we celebrated because that meant that mom could not move this child away from the father. And she had to continue to make sure that the father had time with his son. And here becomes the the rub. Mom then appeals it all the way to the Supreme Court of that state. Father won again. And here's what blew my mind. What they appealed to the courts was my testimony and my testimony only. Because the judge in the case heavily quoted me. And then what happened in the Supreme Court is that... (laughs) They didn't throw my words out. And so mom had to continue to do what was right. I think we need to realize how heavy our words are. And that moment for me was very pivotal because my words helped a father not only um, get more time with his son, but ensure this son never moved away. Because in that moment that his son moved away, he would have been alienated fully from his child. No, no eight year old wants to ride six hours there and six hours back in a weekend. That would have soon been cut off. And so I'm excited about that story. I'm excited about the story. Um, Wow. Let me not tear up (laughs) in some of these. (laughs) 
when a dad hasn't seen their child in 10 years, you're not always sure you can get the job done. And young man named Chris, he wasn't the best father to begin with. He admits that. Chris made a really dumb decision at 20 years old, walking away. Wasn't sure if his his, his children would want to see him. He had a son and, and, and two daughters. Wasn't sure if they'd want to see them, want to see him. And um, wasn't sure how to move forward. We gave him all the reassurance in the world, as, as me and my team do, that hearing his story, we understood that there was a place of, of change and repentance in his heart. Because that's the part when we look at scripture and the scriptures that I've mentioned, it requires you to repent in order to reconcile, right? There's this place of repentance when your heart is turned and his heart had turned. He realized the, ch- the challenges that were facing him. And as we moved forward to reaching out with mom, she was adamant to say no. And so, of course, we go the court route at that point. And so we find Chris, an attorney. Um, This is in Washington, D.C., Maryland area. We find him an attorney. He gets an attorney. We start moving forward with court. As things progress, dad gets what, you know, most dads get, which is every other weekend. He doesn't get full custody rights because he's been gone for so long. But it's it's a progressive thing. And we're excited because now he gets to see his children. Two out of the three begin to show up. The third one, the oldest, does not want to show up. But with more time, all three begin to show up. And now Chris is now having way more time with his children than he ever anticipated. He's now getting close to 50% of the time with his children just because they're old enough to make that decision. And he has the ability to do that. So when they call, Chris can say, you know what? We can fix and move around this weekend and that weekend. And so a dad who's been alienated, For 10 years, his son was approaching 16, 17 years old. Your son is now, you know, (laughs) pushing adulthood. Why would he think that he would need you as a father? So that becomes, that becomes a challenge for most dads when they start to look down that lane of, I made some bad decisions or this is what happened to me. And I didn't really feel like I stood up for myself. And there are dads who do that as well. Oh, I'll wait until the child is 18. And I completely talk them out of waiting until children are 18 because by that moment, by that time, all the pain and the trauma has already been there. My reunification numbers are 8,000. I think it's 8,380 or 90 at this point. I think it's 90, 8,390. With 3,273 fathers, I think is the number. (laughs) I realized the the generational impact being able to reunite fatherless children with their dad has on a society, um, but not just that, on a family, a community, and then the world as a whole. I mean, I'm a girl from Kalamazoo, Michigan, sitting smack dab in the middle of Africa because of the impact this has had on generations. And that's something I can't even, I could have never even imagined or fathomed. Um, But it's because I said yes to the calling. These are the things that we're helping dads understand. Um, 
And I'll even, you know, <laughs> my own story. Sheesh. I'm a 30-year-old woman who's successful, you know, in some people's eyes, but I was struggling through life. I'm, I'm on the flip side. I'm struggling through life trying to figure out who I am. Yes, I have, you know, friends and social and I, I went, went to college and you have all these things, but I'm still struggling through life at 30. Not sure of myself. And I was actually, funny enough, I was in Bible school in London, England. I'm out of the country a lot, Jonathan, I'm realizing. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was in Bible school and within the first few weeks, this conversation of, you need to ask your mother who your father is. That's the scariest thing that you can tell a 30-year-old woman, that she has to go talk to her mother, who she has a rocky relationship with even at that moment. You have to, I have to ask my mother about my father whom she's never really talked about? Really? How does that work exactly? And so I actually wrote her a letter from London. So, you know, that's going to take a little while to get there. And I was conscious of that. I was not, I could have sent her an email. No, 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 no. I sent her a letter with a regular stamp on it because (laughs) I I knew I had to face it, but I didn't know that's going to be a tough one. Like that's okay. Well, I'll write the letter, but then it'll take it a little while to get there. And then I won't have to hear all of her barrage as to why and all the questions and whatever she would have to say to me. And actually, by the time she got the letter, she had none of that to say to me. She gave me the names of two men. And some people think that that's odd or that's weird. And I'm like, my mother had her own set of trauma um, going into her adult life, as many of us do. And so, yes, there were two names that she had to give me. Um, And one of the men was in my life, my entire life. I don't remember him not being in my life. I remember him buying me candy, dresses, and I also remember him. pitching in for my first car at 16. If I go to my hometown now and he's in town, because he sometimes goes back to his hometown in Mississippi, he will make sure that he drops by my mother's house to see me. And so his number was in my phone and it was the first person I called. And he said, I'm your father. And I was like, this man is not my father. Like, (laughs) I just didn't have that feeling. And I had to locate the other name in the white pages. And I found the, the information in the white pages and I wrote him a letter. I'm good at letters, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> and I sent him a letter and he just so happened to answer my letter on my 31st birthday, but he did not know that was my 31st birthday. So he gave me a gift that I didn't even expect to get on that day. And that was one of those God wink moments. Like, I think this is the person. And so doing the DNA test and all of those things, that's when after that, I decided to go meet him. In meeting him, I thought I would have all of this stuff to say to him, all of these things that I could say to him about why he wasn't there, what what was his problem, you know, all of those things. And at the door, this man hugged me and said, I love you. Wow. And there was nothing I could say in that moment. No question I had. He answered every question. I had every anger moment, every position of what what was wrong with you that you weren't there, like all of that. The I love you covered all of that. You know, scripture says that love covers a multitude of sins and mm-hmm. his love for me that day and how he expressed it covered the sins 
of, of him not being in my life and not being present in that very moment. And we were able to build a relationship from there. And I used that moment as even a blueprint as to how I continue to work with fathers. I think about, um, think about a gentleman named Trenton. I think about a gentleman named Lenoris and remembering watching his two-year-old son who had been in defects custody run up to him at a Starbucks in downtown Atlanta. And then we fought to get him primary custody because mom was having mental health episodes on a regular basis and was a school teacher and was prominent in her sorority. All of these things had blocked him until we became part of the equation. And so I'm grateful that I can have stories and moments like this where I can help fathers who didn't even have fathers become fathers again. Because some of them walk away because they're like, I'm not good enough. I don't have anything to offer a child. My services help them see who they actually are. We have a holistic side to it. There are therapists, there are coaches, there are other aspects other than the attorney that are helping fathers see themselves sometimes for the very first time as a good man and then as a good father. Dr. Tori J, as we close, how can dads in the audience found out, find out more about the Fatherless Generation Foundation and how can listeners come alongside you in the organization and help out? Our website is tfgf.org. You'll learn a lot about the work that we're doing there. Um, our social media is the Fatherless Generation Foundation. Um, we do a lot of posts on social media um, to keep you abreast of what's going on and also to encourage fathers to share stories. Um, coming alongside right now, we are relaunching our peer groups um, throughout the United States because there are some children who have fathers who have passed on, who are incarcerated, who are on drugs or whatever that is, and they can't quite get to their dads at this point. And so we provide beyond fatherless peer groups for them that are helping them navigate and overcome the pain of not having their fathers in their lives. We're giving them tools that fathers typically give to them. So I've been doing a campaign called um, 100 Standing with 100, where we're asking 100 people to donate $100 to help us relaunch our peer groups. We're looking for 80 more to do that. Um, so that's one way. Another way is the website gives you an ability to um, partner with us through corporate sponsorship, whether you want to come volunteer at events you want to come to some of the peer groups and volunteer at the Boys and Girls Clubs or things of that nature. And then if you're an attorney listening and you want to help a dad out, pro bono or low bono, reach out to us because we're always looking for attorneys who can be allies and support for fathers and go into that courtroom and really be an advocate for a father. That's what we're, we're looking for as well. It's super important to have that in place. Just to make things easier, if you go to thefatherhoodchallenge.com, that's thefatherhoodchallenge.com, and you go to this episode, look below the episode description. All of the links that Dr. Tori J just mentioned will be right below the description. Everything will be there, so it'll be easy to access. It'll take you to all of the resources that she just mentioned. Dr. Tori J. Thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge, for telling your story, for telling the story of so many other fathers out there and so many children. Thank you so much for all of the work that you are doing. It matters and it means a lot and it's appreciated. 
thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. And I pray that the fathers who are listening get exactly what they need to go pursue reuniting with their children. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you would like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com.